0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, visit a unique mental health clinic in Phoenix, where treatment revolves around an approach that's gaining popularity through results. Meet the stars of a play about the relationship between a superstar of country music and one of her biggest fans. And the cosmic cabaret of Jessica Show and how she's found new ways for an independent musician to thrive. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. New ways of addressing mental health care in the United States are often slow to gain support, in part due to established policies that favor a more conventional approach. Next, Gisela Tellis takes us to a place in Phoenix that's demonstrating the potential benefits to taking a wider approach to its patient's mental well-being. I kind of like Thomas a little bit because it's like a little bit
1: more of a name for somebody who's grown up. (laughs) but I still get called Tommy a lot too, so. I remember I really liked playing baseball as a kid. When everything was going together and I didn't have an injury or something, I just felt like the sky was the limit. That was pretty much what my whole life was back then. It was around my freshman year when I was driving, I saw all these lightning that I kind of thought was striking right close to me. I could always hear my dad and my mom, like, upset. I heard voices of them kind of telling me that I was doing bad, and it was kind of hard to concentrate when there was so much going on inside. And that's where things kind of just spiraled downward from there.
2: He followed me around the house one time, and he was telling me I needed to be careful. I couldn't go to work. Something bad was going to happen to me. It scared the hell out of me.
3: Within two years, Thomas was diagnosed with schizophrenia. It's a psychotic disorder, which means it affects a person's sense of reality. In the US, about 100,000 young people experience psychosis every year. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, most go at least a year, and many go for several before getting the help they need.
2: They would release him, and other than guessing medications, there really wasn't significant treatment.
3: The longer someone goes without treatment, the worse the outcomes. On average, people living with psychotic disorders die 25 years younger than the general population. Up to 10% die by suicide.
2: I'm a lawyer, I understand reading documents. I have no idea how someone with mental illness who didn't have resources or didn't have someone else helping them specifically, how they would figure out anything to get in the system. And even when you're in the system, the type of help that you get is lacking. Tommy gets benefits of $331 a month, which wouldn't even pay for a place to live. The tragedy of this whole thing is if you don't have resources, you're not gonna get help.
3: After seeking treatment at multiple facilities in Arizona and California, Thomas's family found out about a place called IMHR Epicenter in downtown Phoenix.
4: Hi Major Epicenter, this is Stephanie. How can I help you? Okay. Number one priority is you feel better, okay? And I will I I'll let them know.
3: All right. The Early Psychosis Intervention Center, or epicenter, is based on a model first developed and still active at the University of Arizona. The model addresses all the facets of a person's life, from family relationships to job skills that are affected by psychosis. This model
5: was founded on the fact that if you can get in early and you can provide this menu of services all at the same time and really support the person who's experiencing psychosis, you can actually manage those symptoms and re-enter your, your everyday life much quicker. Instead of reacting, let's be proactive and get somebody healthy as quickly as possible.
3: Everything about Phoenix's epicenter is tailored toward engaging young people in treatment, including how it looks the clinic asked youth who are living with mental illness to help design the space. And they literally said it
5: needs to be bright colors and it needs to be young and youthful and have energy and look like a place that is alive. Hi. Do you mind signing this really Sure.
4: Quick? Did you see the date? <laughs> yeah.
3: Along with counseling and you. medications, clients can work with a vocational rehabilitation counselor to get back to work or school. Attend peer or family groups to find support during treatment. Or meet with a peer support specialist who has first-hand experience living with mental illness.
5: So that it's just this whole holistic approach to health. We are addressing every part of this person's well-being. And I think that's what makes
3: it different. I think we did the simple choice auditory. Yeah. Is that the last one we did? Do you remember? Mm. Epicenter combines that holistic approach with cognitive remediation. It's a computer-based training that sharpens attention, memory, and processing of things you see or hear. All of those abilities suffer when psychosis goes untreated. Good. Um,
1: Yeah. Thoughts
3: about that?
1: Um, There was one error, so... I could have done better on that one, I tried to guess. Mm -hmm. I expect better of myself, I guess.
3: I wonder if sometimes when you don't meet those expectations that you have for yourself, you feel bad. Is that what happens?
1: Yeah, in some situations.
3: What would happen if I tell you that you did a great job, even with that? (laughs) I would feel good. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it's true, you did a great job.
1: Mm. Yeah, thank you.
3: Data compiled over the past eight years show that Epicenter's approach works. Yet fewer than 100 clinics like Epicenter exist across the country. Health insurance coverage is one major hurdle. Many insurance companies won't pay for Epicenter services that go beyond conventional treatment. It really is taking Behavioral Health and making
5: it manageable, making it known, making it about relationships, and not just this ginormous kind of conveyor belt of treatment. We have a new staff person today. The second week in a row, we get to welcome a new person. And then all the kudos go up on our kudo board, which is on the clinic side on the wall. Thank you for being such a team player and covering staff as needed. Thank you so much. Good job, Amy.
3: Amy Jackson was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder when she was 22 years old. She knows the damage that conveyor belt treatment can do.
4: It was like, you're 22, your life's over. <laughs> ha ha. And then it was kind of like every door was just, all of them were shut at once. Don't bother with going back to school. Don't bother with having a family. Don't bother with having a career. And it's going to be 10 pills in the morning
3: and 10 pills at night. And that's what your future is.
4: In June, we're going to work on mindfulness and meditation, kind of.
3: Follow-up. Now, as Epicenter's peer support specialist, she helps others find the hope she once couldn't.
4: We're there to actually tell them something different. We're there to say, no, no, your life's not over. You're gonna have to work a little harder at some of these things. You're gonna have to learn some new skills that you might not have known, but you can still do whatever you want. We just have to find the path that works for you to get you to where you wanna be.
2: He was just accepted at ASU last month. We're very happy about that. That's a great accomplishment. He has a job, part-time. He's just a
1: normal 24-year-old kid. I'm really glad that I did find Epicenter because it reminds me to believe in people and then maybe they'll believe in you. Even though we have mental illness, some of us, it doesn't make us any less of a person. I just kind of wanted to let people know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: You can watch a version of that story from Arizona Illustrated on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. I go out
3: walking after midnight.
0: Behind the many memorable songs that Patsy Cline sang, there is a story of hope and heartbreak, of a trailblazing spirit, and an artist taken from the world far too young. Her legacy as the first female country music superstar is dramatized in a play called Always Patsy Cline. It focuses on Cline's relationship with Louise Seeger, a woman living in Houston, Texas, who became a friend, confidant, and a booster of Patsy Cline's career. Seeger would call radio stations across the country to alert them to Klein's new singles, and she urged Klein to accept nothing less than the same treatment that was offered to her male contemporaries. Amanda Gremmel performs and sings as Patsy Klein, and Samantha Cormier plays Louise Seeger in Live Theater Workshop's production running now through May 11th in Tucson.
4: I kind of grew up on Patsy Klein with my mom, kind of the backstory of that is my grandma used to listen to her growing up and pass that down to my mom and so my mom had to expose Patsy to me and then I now have a daughter who's seven years old and um, I've passed that music down to her
0: I'm sure working on this play you can't help but take some of the music home with you and, and oh, sing oh definitely Practice she's
4: it. pretty much my understudy for the show <laughs> About a year ago when I found out I was going to play this role, I started playing Patsy just in the car on the way to school, dropping her off, and I think we were on the way to the grocery store one day listening to it, and she said, Mama, what is this? And I said, oh, this is Patsy Cline, and she let the music play a little bit, and a couple of minutes later she goes, wow, this is real music, Mama. And I was like, it is. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, We kind of listen to country here and there, but not all the time. So it was kind of cool for us. Well, at the time she was six to recognize um, how great Patsy's music was.
0: Well, Samantha, what about in your life? Is there a memory attached to the first time you remember hearing Patsy or finding out who she was?
6: Country music actually has a place in my family. My dad was actually a cowboy. He rode bulls and grew up around that and I grew up around country western music and Don Williams and when I started hearing Patsy Cline it was like wait a woman's voice you know I was like hmm I want to hear more about her and what she is and I put her records on and she sang from the heart not only did she have a beautiful velvety voice but she acted through her songs her you could feel her emotion through a record you know through the radio. So I think that's where I connected to her as an as an actor and as a performer.
0: So in this play, though, the other half of this uh, story revolves around a woman that hardly anyone knows anything about. Who was Louise? What's the background of this character? And what did you find to relate to?
6: Well, she's from Texas. I'm from Tucson. I mean, I guess the desert. <laughs> we, we thrive in the, in the desert. Um, but she has two children. I don't have any children, but I can commiserate with what it is to be a single mother. Um, My cousin's a single mother, so I can definitely see what it is like to have a child and how to provide for that. And I think that's a lot of their basis, how Louise and Patsy are similar. Um, Patsy wasn't a single mother, but she had a husband and and marriage troubles. So she, at the end of the day, she said, children first, you know, it was about her children and, and her family. And I think that's where they're similar. And Louise just... A big fan you know I can definitely know what it's like to to feel love and admiration for someone that is a singer and wanting to be like them and you know having that influence in her being finding out that she's just like everybody else just another woman that has marriage problems and have suffered through broken hearts and it's fun you know it's and play someone kind of outside me too is a challenge and you know and hopefully I bring her some justice <laughs>
4: I think <laughs> you do <laughs>
0: Amanda, what do you think that Patsy Klein was looking for that made her relationship with Louise begin?
4: So I think uh, Patsy was always on the go, traveling, doing show after show after show. And so um, she met Louise. Um, she would go to her venues early to check it out, check out the band. Bef- Patsy would. Patsy would before um, she would actually perform that night. And a super fan came up to Patsy Louise and introduced herself and and just made her feel at home and I think that's what she was kind of looking for when she's on the road so much she's looking for a place to feel like home and so um, throughout the night they were able to connect and form this friendship just by like what Sam was saying earlier just by talking about their troubles in life, their kids. She actually invited a Patsy over to her house, and she wound up staying the night there, um, and they just talked all night, and Louise actually helped her get on the radio the next morning, which was really cool. Yeah, and she was
6: a good supporter of Patsy, so asking her, like, how much are you getting paid, and finding out that it's Nothing, N- nothing, and being like, Hey, you come with me. I'm gonna, you know, set you up. I'll talk to the manager for you. We're gonna make sure you get a break and everything mm-hmm. like that. So, she grew up with musicians, and so she had that. She knew what it was like to stand up there and sing.
0: Showbiz wasn't a totally alien place for Louise,
6: yeah, correct. She understood the behind the scenes stuff, I think. Yeah, her, her dad, her, her dad, dad was yeah, was a musician.
0: What about the physical transformation that you go through to become your characters? What's uh, one of the best parts and what's one of the worst parts of becoming Patsy Cline for the night?
4: Well, it's a little nerve wracking because you uh, can't just create a character out of the blue. She actually existed. (laughs) Um, So just trying to find film on her is a little difficult, but... Back then, on on TV, they had to be very still. and yeah. so you don't get to see her move around and how people talk about how she just really took over the stage. And so you kind of have to piece it together because um, there just isn't film on her uh, at a live show. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of have to take the emotion that she's singing in the song and just trying to transpose that throughout your entire body.
0: I would imagine that there are some cowboy, or in this case, cowgirl boots involved.
4: Oh, yes. <laughs> she loved her white. Cow girl boots,
6: <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> What's something that you think this play says about sisterhood? How does this play portray a relationship between two women of that era?
6: Well, Patsy was one of the first solo recording artists of that time. And I think that was one of the things that I think that stopped Louise in her tracks was she's like, wait, a woman on the radio. And wow, that sounds like I've always wanted to sing, you know, and she had
4: such a powerful voice. On the radio, and so I think it just made people stop and listen, um, and really hear the lyrics, and not just oh, here's a here's a little tune.
0: And she was singing stories that were very much women's stories.
4: Yes, oh, she sure. was. She was singing from the heart each and every time she sung those songs, and she really started the pathway for women, not just in country music, but in all in all music, which is really cool.
6: And having a support of another woman, I think, is important, knowing mm-hmm. that you're you know, that someone's been through the things that you've been through and you're reaching out to someone. I think that's why art is important. And Patsy, there's a reason why she left her baby and went on the road and 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 did the things she did because she knew she was touching these women and touching people's hearts in a way that music does. That's why you go, you know, that, that escapism. And I think it's a big part of her drive. And Louise really tapped into that. And I think together in their conversations, you know, they even said like, Patsy probably wrote a country song that weekend, you know, pouring their hearts out together on that that kitchen table, you know. Amanda
0: Grimmel and Samantha Cormier star in Always Patsy Cline on stage Thursdays through Sundays at the live theater workshop until May 11th. L.A.-based Chanteuse and accordionist, Jessica Fichot, says that she is a lot like her hometown of Paris, French at heart, but with a soul that is truly international. She travels the world and time through her music. Fichot explores the musical roots of her French, Chinese, and American heritage in search of inspiration, that she flavors with Latin rhythm and gypsy swing. And she'll be bringing her band to Green Valley this weekend. I first interviewed Jessica Show in 2014, so I started by asking her what she thinks has changed in the time since. Well, I think
7: since uh, since we last talked, I, I was about to release a, a new EP, uh, which is actually the last one I, that came out uh, that was a, an EP all in Mandarin Chinese, uh, representing the songs of, uh, of Shanghai from the 1940s. So I did do that a little bit later that year. That was 2014. Uh, In terms of my career, I have done a mix of performing and and recording my music for different projects, including uh, I write music for for video games uh, and different apps. uh, And so I've been doing a combination of of both those things. Um, In terms of how my performance have changed, I would like to say that I get more and more confident as uh, time goes by, <laughs> and yet I think I still get very uh, very nervous before I perform, and, um, but the good news is I still really, really enjoy it. Uh, so I'd have to ask my loyal audiences like, how, how my performances have changed, because I, I can only see it you know, from my own point of view, <laughs> which is that I still get nervous.
0: In what way does that nervousness manifest itself, and do you have a way to combat it?
7: I actually don't try to combat it. <laughs> I think if I'm not a little bit nervous, um, then I usually don't perform that well. I think there's a little bit of, of um, this um, good excitement that I can have before I perform. It's a little bit different uh, than the feeling of panic that I've thankfully only experienced a couple times in my whole uh, you know, performance uh, career. And that feels very different than than nervousness. If if I'm panicked um, for any reason, um, usually it has to do a little bit with being panicked about some logistics. That that's a bad thing. But if I'm just nervous, uh, usually as soon as I start, you know, performing the first song, I relax and then I get more more confident, and I still have this feeling of excitement, uh, which is, you know, what I want when I when I perform.
0: influences ranging from Chinese to French to good old American music to gypsy and folk music. What style do you think you first identified yourself as a true fan of?
7: Uh, that must be, I mean my musical styles have changed. I remember I really loved Madonna when I was very little. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think um, I just love to sing her songs. Um, I I remember really um, being very little and hearing my mom play the piano, like uh, classical music and um, enjoying that for the most part. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the first record I I got was a Madonna record and um, I think I enjoyed singing along to her songs, even not quite understand what the lyrics meant sometimes.
0: (laughs) Have you ever covered Madonna? Have you ever sung her songs in Chinese or French?
7: Oh, no. I think I, I kind of outgrew it a little bit, although it, it would be, <laughs> I think it would be um, when I grew up, so I grew up in France, and I I, um, I think it was something about, I was really attracted to, to American music, uh, and it was really only after I moved to the United States that I started to be interested in the music, the French music that I heard as a child, so I kind of, uh, now that I'm here in the United States, I don't quite perform even in English as often, um, But um, I I mean it's it's a good idea, (laughs) maybe I should cover a, a Madonna song at some point.
0: I've been a video gamer most of my life like going back to the 80s and really uh, enjoy the experience of a good immersive game and the sophistication has grown considerably in the last few years with an eye towards not just making games about explosions but rather making them into satisfying interactive experiences. And from what I could see from your uh, repertoire of video games that you've worked on, it seems like you're kind of part of that growing sophistication, creating ambient music and musical space for one to enjoy the the game.
7: Well, I started. Uh, this was, uh, I guess, three years ago now, where I um, I was still, you know, performing and uh, doing my songs in French, uh, but uh, I wanted to do something a little different. And I've always played uh, video games, uh, and not. Ever really the the style that people associate with with video games, which is um, you know action shooting games. I've always played very story driven games, um, and I I still play a lot of games that are um, purposely nostalgic from from the era from the 1990s eras of of gaming. A few years ago, I I decided I I took an online course uh, about uh, specifically creative interactive audio for games, and then I've been um, working uh, freelance on on independent games ever since. So I've done anything from, uh, I've done a medieval fantasy, like what you call a dungeon crawler game. Uh, I mean, games take a long time to make. They're even worse than, than movies in some cases, or albums, uh, because there's there's so much involved in it, not, not just the art. Not just the music, but also the the programming and the problem solving. I've been working on a, on a game called Grobot, which is a what you call a point and click, two uh, D game, um, and that one is a, an adventure game, story driven, and it also has really beautiful art. And for this game, I was able to create really um, ambient music. So, not something that I could uh, play with my band, unfortunately. It's it's really something that kind of contributes to um, to the experience, um, and it's not too intrusive. The challenge sometimes in video games is you don't just have to write good music. Sometimes you'd rather not have any music at all, rather than have music that will not be appropriate for your experience. Um, so in this case, it's the, the music I'm creating for this game is um, called "Growbot." is is very moody. It's beautiful, hopefully, but um, very much part of the ambience. When it comes to the music I perform with the band, I associate it more with my identity. So I do, you know, think about that. Maybe overthink it sometimes. <laughs> What's going to work for this project? Um, and if it fits, then I've done my job.
2: <laughs>
0: Jessica Fichot and her band will appear in Green Valley for two shows on Sunday, April 14th, a short afternoon set at Silver Springs and a concert at Green Valley Canoa Ranch starting at 6 p.m. There's a link to Fischot's website where you can find more for music on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.
6: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.